0: If somebody swaps out their current high-fat, high-calorie diet for a healthier eating pattern, what kind of a difference can they expect to see? About a decade. Wow. Yeah, and that
1: comes from the Adventist Health Study where they looked at people who were um, following one or two kind of healthy lifestyle factors versus those who are really doing it well. Now, don't get me wrong. If you're following a healthy diet, but drugs or alcohol or tobacco or something are entering your life, that's going to change the, the numbers. But when a person puts it all to work, a uh, healthy diet vegan diet as part of a healthy lifestyle uh, about a decade is what you can plan on with some variation around weekly ends.
0: welcome to the exam room podcast brought to you by the physicians committee hi i am the weight loss champion chuck carroll Thank you so very much for raising your health IQ with us coast to coast in the U.S. and in more than 150 countries. Hi to everyone listening in Henderson, Nevada, Fremont, California and Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. Wherever you are, we appreciate you helping to make the world a healthier place. This is episode 14 of season six, number 410 overall. Here in the U.S., the average woman will live to be about 79 years old. And for us guys, it's just 73 years old. But our goal today is to have you live well beyond that. Dr. Neil Barnard is my guest. He joined me on The Exam Room Live this week, and he and I will be getting into the secrets of longevity. Are they buried in your DNA, or do you... Do you hold the power in your hand where literally every decision that you make every day can either add years to your life or take them away? And about those decisions, are the ones about what you're going to eat for breakfast and lunch and dinner perhaps the most critical? And if that's the case, then what are the healthiest foods to live the longest life? We're going to be talking about that in just a minute. And you're also going to hear us talk about this on the show today. Very excited that Dr. Barnard will be my very special guest on March 30th when we do the exam room live and in person in Los Angeles. This is going to be at the gorgeous e VIP tickets are on sale now that include a wonderful plant-based dinner, exclusive giveaways and photo opportunities before the show. And plus, you'll also receive priority seating once the show begins. But if you can't join us for dinner, don't worry about it. General admission tickets are also available right now. Dinner starts at 630. The show is at 8. It's on March 30th at the eBell, and we would love for you to be there grab your tickets right now they're going fast pcrm.org slash events just click on the exam room and reserve your seats today or we've made it really easy for you simply click the link in the episode notes today's episode of the exam room live is powered by the gregory j ryder memorial fund The Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund supports organizations like the Physicians Committee that carry on Greg's love for animals by promoting plant-based health and working to end animal abuse while emphasizing programs that promote systemic change and also benefit people. You can visit them online right now at GregoryRyderFund.org. That's Gregory Ryder, R-E-I-T-E-R, fund.org. Longevity. Is it in your DNA or is it what's for dinner? The secrets to living a longer life are unlocked now as Dr. Barnard joins me on The Exam Room. Thanks for making the time. Great to see you, Chuck. So glad that you're here. This is always such an important topic. And my wife actually sent me an article from the Today Show recently that was talking about four healthy eating patterns that are associated for a lower risk of death. And they were looking at, uh, eating patterns that, you know, most people think, well, are we talking about keto or are we talking about eating a plant-based diet? What are we talking about? They were talking about the healthy eating index, the alternative healthy eating de- index, the alternate Mediterranean diet and the healthy plant-based diet index. And so they compared all of those four things. But before we get into the science, let me ask you, when it comes to longevity, how much is dictated by genes and how much is dictated by the choices that we're making every day?
1: Well, they certainly both uh, play big roles. And in fact, they overlap. For, by that, I mean, genes matter. Um, our human genome really doesn't have built-in longevity past, oh, about 120 or something like that, if you want to look at what the extreme possibility could be this, you know, this old chassis just kind of wears out over time. Um, but there are certain genes that make people more vulnerable or somewhat less vulnerable. As an example, there are some people who have genes that allow them to eliminate carcinogens from their body more rapidly. So that person, if they have smoke, they are more likely to eliminate the carcinogens than somebody who who smokes and doesn't have that genetic ability to eliminate the carcinogens. So there there are genes that, that do tilt things one way or another a bit. However, food is really a decisive factor. And it's also one of the things that we can control most easily. And it really makes a difference between the heart attack that occurs at 52 and the heart attack that never occurs at all. It's a huge part of the risk of cancer, of stroke, of diabetes. And when we look at that list, those are the things that are shortening our longevity.
0: And you know, those are all things uh, you talk about certain foods. There, you, you know, it, it doesn't take a a big leap at all to think that, well, uh, a combo meal from McDonald's, wherever, probably isn't going to get you those extra trips around the sun. Yet, with the standard American diet, all of the trips through the drive-through, all of the highly processed foods, I would seem to think that those can significantly shave years off of your life. When you're talking in terms of just ultra-processed foods, fast foods, is it really like every time you go, you're, you're like just taking a day, taking two days, however many often over time it just accumulates and before you know it, you're living a shorter life than you expected?
1: It really does work out that way, in fact, Chuck. Uh, researchers have looked at very large groups of people following specific kinds of diets. For example, a person who's a, a meat eater, a person who's a vegetarian but still eats dairy a person who is vegetarian but doesn't have the dairy or eggs in other words they're a vegan and exactly what you would expect is what happens if you look at how many years they live the vegan is going to live longer than the, the oval lacto person typically and they both live a lot longer than the than, than the meat eater so it's so it's true um, and then other things uh, weigh in as well like smoking and um, drug use and alcohol and all these other things that can interfere
0: I wanna share this study that uh, we were talking about, what, what the Today Show was talking about. And this is uh, where they were looking at the various eating patterns that were being studied here. Um, and let's let's just break these down really quickly, if you don't mind. The healthy eating index, that's something that I think that you have also mentioned here previously on the exam room. What exactly is that?
1: Yeah, it's actually not really a diet. It's, it's a way of rating the healthfulness of the diet you're on. And this was something the government developed a number of years ago to say, if you are eating more fruits and vegetables, that's a, a high, you're going to have a higher uh, healthy eating index. Um, if you're eating more beans, that's good. If you're eating more meat, that's bad. That's going to lower your index. And then there's the second one that you mentioned, the alternate healthy eating index. The researchers at Harvard said the government index, not bad, but we can improve on it. So they made the alternate healthy eating index, which was more, um, a little bit more detailed. In both cases, the more you're having plant foods in your diet, the, the better your overall health and the better your, um, your longevity.
0: And then they have the alternate Mediterranean diet uh, index here as well. And, and I, I'm, I'm kind of curious because we've talked about the Mediterranean diet quite a bit here on the show as well. What do we know about its connection to longevity? Is it beneficial? Well,
1: the, alt, the, the Mediterranean diet is associated with better uh, longevity than people who are following just a totally unrestricted diet, but it's it's limited and it's, it's sort of an imperfect diet because although it's reduced in eggs, it still has eggs, reduced in dairy, but still has dairy, reduced in meat, but still has some. So what the alter, alternative Mediterranean diet was in this study, the Nurses' Health Study and the health professional study results combined at Harvard, they said, let's look at at what we're gonna call an alternative uh, Mediterranean diet. And there they said, what if we're really looking at those people on maybe a Mediterranean kind of cuisine, but they're emphasizing fruits and vegetables. And they took French, by the way, Chuck, they took out French fries. Um, It doesn't count as a vegetable here, although the ketchup might. Um, They're emphasizing beans, whole grains as opposed to white bread. And then, you know, one of the the hallmarks of the Mediterranean diet has been olive oil. But some people have interpreted that to mean slathering olive oil all over everything and using it practically like a beverage. Uh -uh. The Harvard folks said, no, what really matters is not getting a lot of olive oil or not getting a lot of the healthy oils in general, but rather the proportion. If you are getting a little bit of good fat and a lot of bad fat, cheese fat, meat fat, that's bad if the ratio favors the good fat, then it's better. The reason I emphasize that is you don't have to be adding fat to your diet at all. If the ratio of the good fats to the bad fats is is higher, you're gonna do better. How do you do that? Green leafy vegetables, fruits, they have traces of good fat, effectively no bad fat. So so that's that's what the uh, alternate Mediterranean diet is, it's cleaning up the Mediterranean diet.
0: And the last one here, uh, just seems like it's pretty self-extended, explanatory, the healthful plant-based diet index, kind of what it was we've been talking about, but exclusively plant-based here? Vegan diet minus Twizzlers.
1: <laughs>
0: <Basically>. <laughs>
1: In other words, Chuck, um, there's a million ways to go vegan, and every time you turn around, there's another new product too. And that, that, and it, no matter how you slice it, you're better off than you were as a meat eater. So, so let me be clear about that first. Um, when a person gets the meat out of their diet, the dairy out of their diet, and they go vegan, they are making a huge difference. Good step, But within a plant-based diet, the more you're having fruits and vegetables and whole grains and beans in their more natural state, you really pump those up. That's what makes the diet really healthy. So that's what the Harvard researchers were looking at. The healthy eating index, uh, this higher you scored on that. Um, the alternate healthy eating index, did you score higher on that? Were you looking toward a Mediterranean pattern in their alternative way? Were you looking at a vegan pattern in, their, in that alternative way? And you guessed that they are all kind of in the plant-based world.
0: Yep. Uh, definitely kind of in the plant-based world. And, and none of them does it say, well, you know, load up on pizza every night, load up on fried food every night, go, you know, fill your shopping cart with potato chips. As a matter of fact, what the researchers found here, I'm going to read this verbatim from uh, the the study here. Uh, They said that greater adherence to several of the healthy eating patterns was associated with a lower risk of death. So, I mean, while we could get super specific with which one might be a little bit better than another, as you just said, the more whole fruits, whole vegetables, whole grains you eat you know, the better off you're going to be in terms of lowering your risk of all of these chronic diseases that are cutting our lives short. They also overlap.
1: Um, You can follow a vegan diet using foods from the Mediterranean. So instead of black beans, which are more a Mexican thing, you might have chickpeas or something. So um, they're both healthy. But my point is that a Mediterranean diet could be vegan. A vegan diet could be Mediterranean, and these can overlap in in a really helpful way.
0: And in terms of you know adding years to your life, I mean, if somebody swaps out their current high fat, high calorie diet for a healthier eating pattern like we're talking about here, you know, just in terms of averages, what what kind of a difference can they expect to see? About a decade. Wow. Uh, yeah. I, no,
1: this is just this is just a mean if you if you take the stats, and that comes from the Adventist Health Study where they looked at people who were um following one or two kind of healthy lifestyle factors and um and versus those who are really doing it well now don't get me wrong you if you're following a healthy diet but your uh drugs or alcohol or tobacco or something are entering your life that's going to change the change the the numbers but when a person puts it all to work uh, a healthy diet vegan diet as part of a healthy lifestyle uh, about a decade is what you can plan on with um some variation around the ends
0: I'll take it. Ten years. I mean, that's nothing to sneeze at, as my grandma would say. Uh, Yeah, but but it's more than that, Chuck.
1: It's not just living longer. It's for many people, they're having kind of a gradual decline of their health. So uh, you're 25, 27, and you're discovering, gee, I I gained a pound or two. And then you're 30 and you're, you're now gaining weight. And then when you're 35, you're 40, you're now on your statin or your diabetes medication. And the quality of life is gradually descending and the joints go bad and the person's having all kinds of trouble. When you're on a healthy diet lifestyle, the presumption is these things really just don't kick in during life. So we call it a box-shaped life where you're really maximally healthy all the way along and then you're struck by lightning on the golf course and that's the end, you know, <laughs> or you hit the wall in Monaco or something like that. So the, the whole idea is uh, to, to be not just living longer, but living healthy while you're alive. So
0: going back to the Today Show website here, um, they had a dietitian comment on this study and then give some of their own tips for longevity here. What are the five things they really wanted to see in somebody's diet that they felt could maximize their lifespan? Number one for them was focusing on fiber. We talk so much about fiber at the Physicians Committee here on the podcast for sure. In terms of longevity, is fiber one of those key nutrients, in your opinion?
1: Yeah, well, absolutely. And and to tell you the truth, fiber really means beans, whole grains, vegetables, and fruits. That's where the fiber is. There isn't any fiber in meat or cheese. So a person who is loading up on cheeseburgers, you could say, well, they're eating meat, they're eating cholesterol, they're eating saturated fat, they're eating all these bad things, and they are not getting fiber switch that for plants, it's the exact opposite. You're avoiding the cholesterol, the bad fat, and you're getting the fiber that, that your body needs.
0: Now, here's where it gets interesting. You just said fat, but the next tip on their list was nosh on nuts, which is very fun to say, nosh on nuts, but nuts notoriously high in fat. Still part of a healthy diet though? Part of a healthy diet, but I
1: think here's one place where we, I think we do have to be a bit cautious. Keep in mind, in nature, nuts do not come in little plastic bags and pre-salted and roasted um they come inside a shell and so if you're going to eat a nut you know the walnut that came from a tree you've got to break it open and then you eat it and if you want another one you got to break it open and eat it so nuts really historically have never been an enormous part um, of the human diet with, with really some exceptions in some cultures where something like acorns were more accessible but they really haven't been a big thing so what that means is Let's say you're having an ounce a day of nuts. That's about a little handful. Good on you. That'll give you uh, some vitamin E and some healthy fats, a little bit of protein. That's all great. But when it becomes a go-to snack, it is really easy to overdo it on the fat. And if a person's looking to lose weight, it's going to slow their weight loss.
0: Number three was get colorful. We always hear about eating the rainbow here. Why, again, can you remind us why, again, that's so important in terms of our health? okay well you look at a
1: carrot very pretty bright orange color but the carrot is saying wait a minute it's not just an orange color that's beta carotene that's an antioxidant that will knock out the free radicals that are going to cause cancer in your body they will knock out the free radicals that contribute to aging Uh, you look at a sweet potato beta carotene there too Um, but on the other hand it's not just orange look at red tomatoes pink grapefruit watermelon that red color is lycopene that's an even more powerful antioxidant, or pick up some blueberries. Their anthocyanins, this won't be on the test, their anthocyanins are antioxidants also. So when researchers say, eat from the rainbow, what they are saying is, uh, glass of milk? No, doesn't. it's not rich in antioxidants. Uh, meat, I don't think so, uh, but the plant kingdom, the reds, the yellows, the oranges, the, the blues and purples, all of those are a sign the antioxidants are there. And one, one, one more thing I might just mention, Chuck, real quick. Um, why do we have color vision? Just to have a, a pretty world. Different animals have different kinds of color vision, and ours is specifically designed to be able to detect antioxidants. If your cat walked into the Safeway, your cat would not be seeing the beta-carotene and the lycopene and so forth, because your cat is naturally a carnivore. Your cat's visual system is Is looking for motion like a mouse on the other end of the store, but your retina says, I want you to see antioxidants. I mean, you can see you can see the beta carotene at the other end of the store, and then the brain interprets it positively. So we say, That's a color, I think that's pretty, I want to have
0: that. I'm Okay, hold, wow, wow, hold on. We we just got to rewind what just happened there. This is a brand new nutrition nugget that has just been dropped on the show for the very first time. Our site, I love the body. The site has been designed to pick up on colors that are enticing and and and, and that can help us make healthier choices with our food. Amazing.
1: It, that's exactly right. And, and if you think about it, think, think about the senses you have. It's not just your sight. Also, uh, the tongue. You remember, you learned this in grade school, that you could detect sweet taste and salty tastes and bitter and sour. Something that is, is going bad, something that's going putrid. It has this bitter taste. You spit it right out. That is your body's way of using the neurological structure to interpret the quality of the food. What's the sweet taste for? Why are we attracted to it? It's not because of candy. Candy wasn't there when we were evolving. It's because of fruit. So it's the the neurology of the tongue, just like the neurology of your retina. The tongue senses the sweetness. The brain interprets it positively and says, stay in this particular apple tree for a little while, because this is gonna help us to survive. So our, our neurological system is designed to help survival by attracting us toward helpful foods and find and, and making things that are unhelpful for us repulsive. So that's why people say if a slaughterhouse had glass walls, we would find it utterly repulsive. And those, those products are things that naturally we should be getting away from. Um, but what do people do? They make money from, Making unhealthy things, and you put ketchup all over them, and you can't really tell that they're things that are just not at all designed for human survival. Wow.
0: Okay, man that that is that is your nugget of the day right there. Fascinating, man. Um, number four: Opt for plant and marine sources of protein. I kind of feel like we've covered that a little bit, but let's talk then about um, the the risks that are associated more with opting for uh, more. Uh, what most people would consider to be traditional sources of protein, you know, your chicken, your steak, your eggs, your dairy, things like that. Why do you think this nutritionist is saying absolutely go plant versus you know these meat and dairy sources, where a lot of people think are the only source to get your protein? Okay. Well, there's been a
1: huge shift. In fact, there's been a shift just in the past few months, really. But the shift that's been going on for a long time is we knew. That if you get animal, if you get protein from animal sources, what do you get? You get cholesterol, you get saturated fat, you get E. Coli and Salmonella along with the protein that's in the meat. If you're going to get, uh, your, your plant sources of protein, beans, whole grains, vegetables, very high in protein, no sa- virtually no saturated fat, no cholesterol at all, high in fiber and really clean foods. So that that's been pushing people toward plant sources of protein for a long time. But then more recently, of course, you know about the, the whole discussion and you've had it on the show about the environmental impact of different protein sources, animal proteins really bad for the environment compared to plant proteins. But what has come in just really in really just the past several months or thereabouts is the world of protein has been turned totally on its head. We had had the mistake a notion that turned out to be a mistake that we well the truth is we need essential amino acids to build protein. The protein molecule is like a string of beads and each bead is an amino acid. The ones that your body can't make are called essential. Meat has a lot of essential amino acids. And so in the 1950s everybody thought, "Great, eat a lot of meat and that's the best source of protein." But Harvard researchers started looking and they said, "Wait a minute." If animal protein is really superior because it's got all the it's got a, a denser concentration of the essential amino acids compared to plants, then that ought to have some survival advantage, some health advantage. It didn't work out that way. It was just the opposite. If you compared people in in, in these very well-controlled con- Harvard studies, a people, a person who switched, say some of their fish protein that they were getting, if they took that out of the diet. And if they were to replace it with plant protein, their risk of dying would be reduced. The the plant proteins were helping their longevity. And that was true if you were getting away from egg protein, fish protein, uh, red meat protein, dairy protein, all these things. Replacing them with plant protein was better. So then that made all the scientists say, wait a minute, we had been saying meat is better because it's loaded with essential amino acids. We now know that you need some of them you should not have too much of them. The right, the sweet spot, Chuck, is in the plants.
0: And last but not least here, my friend, uh, the fifth tip from The Nutritionist was find flexibility. And let let me read verbatim from this article. It said, to enhance variety and adherence, one can switch between these various healthy diets or create their own flexitarian diet. However, this is the big however here, the core healthy eating principle should remain the same. Eat more minimally processed plant foods such as fruits, vegetables, nuts, whole grains, and legumes. Eat less red meat and ultra processed foods that are high in sugar, sodium, and refined starch. That is key. And I really think though, A lot of us can get tripped up when they think flexitarian because that to them seems, well, I'm going to be really good one day out of the week and be completely flexible the other six, and I'm going to be okay. So when it comes to having flexibility in your diet, what advice can you tell somebody in terms of don't overdo it with letting loose?
1: Yeah, uh, it's a great question. I, I think it's, to take an analogy, a person who has had problems with drugs, Uh, Or a person who's having problems with alcohol, they do better just not having those things in their life, as opposed to being flexible about it, where you'll only have (laughs) a narcotic two or three days a week instead of seven days a week. Uh, What you very rapidly find is it doesn't work well, your health doesn't get better, and and you've got these bad products calling your name all the time. With food, it's the same way. When we have a person, say, in one of our research studies, they'll go on a totally plant-based diet and they'll do really well. Their diabetes gets better or it goes away or whatever. If for whatever reason they decided to be a little more flexible and bring in cheese and meat, kind of like what they were eating before, but not so many days a week, what you see is that their progress grinds to a halt. For whatever reason, their body just says, look, I can't handle that stuff. You're better leaving it off. And what's more, you reignite those addictions that kept those foods on your plate before. Now, this doesn't mean that there isn't such a thing as flexibility, but flexibility applies to healthy things. Tonight, let's go to a Mexican restaurant. Let's have the bean burrito or the veggie fajitas. Tomorrow, let's go sushi. And it's going to be not fish sushi, but vegetable sushi. The the next day, let's go Indian or something like that. So there's flexibility with all the things from the plant kingdom, but you don't want to bring the things back in your diet that have
0: caused problems. All right. And before we open up the doctor's mailbag, by the way, if there's a question you have for Dr. Barnard, go ahead, post it in the comments or in the chat. We're going to get to those in just a minute. Um, I know that going down and, and talking like reduction here is really kind of difficult and oftentimes missing the point, but I have to think that there are a significant number of people who are listening right now, Dr. Barnard, or watching and saying, yeah, well, you've talked about these wonderful food groups, but are there some specific foods that you really think should always, always, always be the focus? Yeah, um, well, for
1: example, um, plant-based foods virtually always are great, but let's say you, if you're looking within the range of whole grain uh, grains or something like that, uh, you could you go down the rice aisle. There's the white rice. There's next to it the the, the basmati rice. There's next to it the brown rice. The brown rice still has the fiber. So the one with the fiber is going to be your better choice. It doesn't mean the white rice is poison. It's not. It's healthier than spam. Uh, but the brown rice is still going to be a much better choice. Uh, but don't forget variety here. And you can have variety at the same meal. What Nothing says you can't have broccoli plus a sweet potato or carrots plus Brussels sprouts. You can have that variety in the same meal. Do aim for simplicity. The more it's processed, the more you're taking the bad, you're adding bad stuff to it or taking the good stuff out.
0: Yeah, and look, don't sleep on that sweet potato broccoli combo. That is just amazing. It's so simple, but so daggone good at the same time, isn't it? It, It's, yeah, it's
1: very simple. And I'm not quite sure why these foods become so luscious when you get them in these combinations, but they really do.
0: I don't know, man. It's just the way that we're wired. I don't know. Maybe maybe broccoli and sweet potatoes are going to be on the menu when you and I do the live show out in L.A. on March 30th. By the way, tickets are on sale for that now. Our very first ever exam room live and in person. We're going to be at the Ebell in L.A. Uh, VIP tickets uh, get you dinner beforehand, a wonderful plant-based dinner, plus some exclusive photo ops and giveaways. So I'm not sure if sweet potatoes and broccoli will be on the menu that night, but I absolutely would be more than happy to nosh on that before we go on stage. Me too. Yeah, man. So pcrm.org slash events to pick up your tickets on, uh, for the show in LA on March 30th at the e If you can't join us for dinner, no worries. Show starts at eight. General admission tickets are available as well. There's also a link for you to click right now in the episode notes. Uh, what do you say, Dr. Barnard? We go ahead and open up the doctor's mailbag, start taking some questions from the good people. You bet. All right, Christine here has an interesting one, not just about longevity, but about what happens to the body when you start losing weight. You try to get healthier, and live a longer life. Specifically, she's wondering about fat in the liver. Christine's question is, when you go from that standard American diet that I've been eating and switch over to a whole food plant-based diet, what happens to the fat that's stored in the liver?
1: Well, that's a really timely question. You know, 20 years ago, nobody was talking about liver fat. Today, every physician is talking about it, including pediatricians, because the fat is building up, not just on your waistline or on your thighs, but in the liver. And once it's in the liver, that accumulated liver fat leads to insulin resistance and ultimately diabetes, all kinds of problems. Getting rid of it is good. Uh, When you, the answer to your question is that when you go on a healthy, low fat, plant-based diet, vegan diet, that liver fat starts to disappear and it starts to disappear on day one.
0: And the reason I'm
1: saying this with such confidence is we did a study that we published two years ago where we brought in uh, a lot of individuals into the study, 266 participants. They went on a plant-based, half of them went on a plant-based diet. The other half were a control group. And then the participant, after having done the diet for a while, they went up to Yale University, where we did magnetic resonance spectroscopy measurements of their liver fat. And it goes, it, it diminishes, starting uh, very rapidly. And uh, it happens whether you're exercising or not, whether you're counting calories or not, just the low-fat vegan diet will get that started.
0: All right, let's do a quick uh, exam roomy roll call here. I want to say hi to Cindy, who's watching in West Texas today. We've got Karen, who's in Germany. Cindy in Central Coast, California. Awesome. Glad you're here. We've got Jacqueline in Lexington. Vegan Scorpion in Canada. We've got uh, Teak also watching in Switzerland today. Global impact, man. I absolutely love it. Um, n- next question, Dr. Barnard. Interesting one. Comes to us from uh Fanta Tourette. And this is about salt. Obviously, we know that heart disease is one of the, if not the leading cause of death, also highly preventable. Um, and they are wondering here, is it inadvisable to avoid all salt in the diet, including iodized salt?
1: Uh, salt, salt in overdose is a problem. It raises blood pressure and it's linked to, to mortality. But salt is something that you need in very small quantities. Uh, one reason that, that you mentioned... Um, is the iodized salt. It is a really handy source of iodine that your thyroid needs. And if you're not using iodized salt, well, you could still get iodine in seaweed, for example, like nori and wakame. But iodized salt is a handy uh, source, and about maybe a third of a teaspoon per day gets you a, a significant amount of iodine. Uh, but the other part of it is that, that sodium is an electrolyte, like potassium. You need it in your blood. If you don't have it, if you don't have sodium in your blood, you you have nerve conduction problems and all kinds of other issues. So, no, you don't want zero salt. The amount of salt that that the government would say you need is about 500 uh, milligrams a day. Your average person is doing well if they're down to three grams. So, uh, uh, it's good to reduce it. It's good to uh, favor low salt, but you don't want zero.
0: We have a couple of people in the chat who are wondering not just about what it is that they're eating, but when they are eating. Do you know of any research out there that talks to perhaps longevity in terms of fasting? Is there a connection there?
1: I personally, I think it's too early to say. Um, There are people who have been doing fasting, but the, the research is contaminated by the fact that a lot of people are fasting because they have a disease. So they go to the fasting center, but that doesn't necessarily show at the end of the day, that fasting led to greatly longer life. So I think we need need to uh, study that more to see if fasting really will extend life. Now, going for it, fasting does reduce metabolism and in theory, it should make your clock run a little more slowly. Um, On the other hand, sometimes when people fast, it's followed by a little bit of a binge. So uh, I and a number of others have suggested following a healthy, eating pattern throughout rather than relying on fasting, except when you're using the fast therapeutically to deal with a problem like um, sore joints or something like that.
0: Vitamin B12 is up for debate right now in the chat as well. We have a couple of people who are asking questions about that. Uh, Number one, uh, obviously, if you're eating a plant-based diet, you've said this a number of times on the show, you absolutely need to supplement with that, correct?
1: Yeah. yeah, Yes, you absolutely do. Uh, The amount you need is 2.4 micrograms. But it's not just people following a vegan diet who should supplement, everybody ought to supplement, Um, especially after age 50, because that's when people have more and more difficulty absorbing B12 um, for a variety of reasons. So vegans should supplement B12 at any age, no matter what. And frankly, that's a good advice for everybody else who has not yet completed
0: their transition to vegan. And what are the health risks that come with having a low level of B12 in your system? Nerve damage
1: and uh, anemia, your nerves,
0: including the nerves that make up the brain,
1: require vitamin B12 for functioning. And your red blood cells, they need some B12 in order to form. So when a person runs low on B12, they can get anemic and they can get nerve damage. And unfortunately, um, it's a slow and insidious process. A person might have missed B12 for months, no symptoms. And then the first symptoms they get are symptoms of nerve nerve damage that at that point could be irreversible don't mean to frighten people what i mean to say is it's the easiest thing in the world to get that bottle of b12 just take it every
0: day and so in terms of what it is we're talking about today if a person goes without that absolutely can shorten their lifespan it sounds like yes exactly now there's also b12
1: in a lot of foods um for example you you shake some nutritional yeast on your vegan pizza well, you look at the label, they've added B12 to it, some cereals as well. But I don't suggest that people count on those because you might not be having those fortified cereals. That's why I think it's quick and easy to get in the habit of just taking a B12 every day.
0: There you go. And to that question, uh, here's one from Lily at 1221, finally caught a live episode. Awesome. Thanks for joining us. Uh, she wants to know, when it comes to B12, do you have to take that supplement every day or could it stay in your body for a few days?
1: It stays in your body, um, It's but it's it's good to... If you're taking a, a particularly large pill, remember I said the amount you need is 2.4 micrograms. You go to the health food store and they don't have anything that small. They've got, you know, 500 micrograms or 1,000 micrograms. You could take that every other day or something like that. But I wouldn't go too long without it. I, I would make sure that it's part of your routine so that you remember to take it. Or if you got a big pill, cut it in half and take it every day.
0: Let's take a question from Peter 5.0. Man, that's a lot of revamping you've done there, Pete. Uh, 1217. What is Dr. Barnard's opinion on whole grain flour products? Are they okay for people who are overweight and perhaps have diabetes?
1: Perfectly fine. Yes. Um, now, the, the flour products are never quite as good as the whole grain they came from. But um, if you're if you have diabetes uh, or if you're tending toward diabetes and you get away from the animal products keep oils low and you go to whole grains or including the whole grain flour products. What most people discover is that their blood sugars come down and down and down and down. What's happening is because you're not eating any animal fat anymore and you're keeping the oils low, the fat is getting out of your muscle cells. The fat is coming out of your liver cells and that makes your body more responsive to insulin and makes you healthy. And one of the nice things about that whole grain flour is it's, practically fat-free. So um, don't make it into a muffin and add a lot of butter to the muffin. Make sure that everything you're making with it is really healthy and overall uh, favor the intact grains too, uh, in addition to having some of the, the whole grain flour, which is fine.
0: Here's an interesting question uh, from an exam roomie. It came in at twelve fourteen, wondering about potatoes. And I'm wondering perhaps if they were a French fry fan at one point. Uh, the question is, does air frying potatoes without oil cause a health risk compared to potatoes that have been cooked in another healthy way?
1: The, the potato itself doesn't have cholesterol, doesn't have saturated fat. Basically, the potato is a delivery system for complex carbohydrate, which gives you energy, and there's a bit of protein in there too. Not a huge amount, but there's some. Um, and where people ruin it is by throwing it into fryer grease or, you know, that kind of thing where you're really taking the potato and adding just a lot of grease to it. If, if you put it into your air fryer, what are you adding? Hot air. You know, it's perfectly fine.
0: Uh, Let's see, grab a couple of more here. L&J Nutrition 1210, hello from Florida. Well, that sounds nice right about now. Uh, Is skin health an indicator of longevity and what can you do to make sure that you have healthier skin?
1: Well, there's a couple of things. Um, You already know from the outside, your skin is threatened by ultraviolet B. That's the sun and that's a tanning bed. Do not go to the tanning bed. Um, If you want a really deep tan, you can get it out of a bottle at any drugstore. Um, and if you're out in the sun, you should use uh, a, a good UVB protecting uh, a, a tanning cream, uh, so something something that screens out um, the UVB. Look for, for a, a number 30 or higher on the product that you buy. Uh, for some people, maybe even higher than that, like 50. Now, the other skin protector uh, things are what happens on the inside. And the one you already know about what will age you faster than anything else, smoking a couple packs a day. Those people that the The toxins in the tobacco go through the entire system, including the skin, and they lead to free radical damage, which means wrinkles.
0: On the other hand,
1: what if you decide I'm going to have not the free radicals, I'm going to have the things that knock them out? The antioxidants. Those are the things we were talking about earlier, the colorful fruits and vegetables, and including the juices that they work their way into. That's where the antioxidants are found.
0: All right. And uh, it's two more really quick. Uh, this one comes to us from vegan overnight. They're wondering when it comes to eating a whole food plant based diet, do we still need to count five servings of fruits and vegetables every day? Or can we just kind of not forget about it? Because the assumption at that point is if you're really eating a healthy diet, you're just automatically going to be getting everything you need.
1: Stop counting. You (laughs) You do not need to count. Um, If you are having fruits and vegetables and whole grains and meats, do make sure that, that you're not neglecting anybody, but you don't really need to count them.
0: All right. Lyrical Queen is checking us out for the first time live. Thank you so very much for being here, Queen. And the final question of the day, Dr. Barnard, comes to us from Painter. And it's a question about calcium. That's something that we have not yet really talked about here today. And Painter is wondering when you might need to take a calcium supplement. They said that since uh, they started to eat a plant-based diet, they've, noted, uh, they've noticed that perhaps their nails are getting a little bit weak. So what can you say in terms of needing calcium?
1: Well, you do need calcium, um, but most people will not take it as a calcium supplement. And I would suggest that most people not rely on a calcium supplement. Um, The reason is you're getting just calcium, you're not getting any of the the fiber or the other things that go along with it. Researchers found that when people are getting their calcium as a pill and they're not eating anything else with it, it actually increases the risk of kidney stones because that concentrated calcium is going through into the kidneys. If you get your calcium as part of a green leafy vegetable, like it's in broccoli or kale or Brussels sprouts, you're getting the calcium along with the fiber and the, and the other healthy constituents, and that's a much better source for you. So calcium supplements should be used if your doctor says you really need them as part of your osteoporosis treatment package. But otherwise, green leafy vegetables is probably the best source. And don't forget the beans and the other parts of a healthy diet.
0: There it is. We're going to go ahead and close up the doctor's mailbag today here. If we didn't get to your question, have no fear. We will do our best to get you an answer on an upcoming episode. We will save it and do our best to to revisit it at a later date. Um, Let's wrap up with this, Dr. Barnard. Um, We have heard that a lot of these chronic diseases are very much preventable in your estimation, if you were going to put percentages on it, how much of our longevity is controlled by our DNA? It's our genetics, and there's really not much that we can do. And what percentage then do we have control over how many trips around the sun we might have?
1: Well, the vast, vast majority, I would mean, to 80% or more, is related by choices we make, especially food choices. And when people look at other parts of things they choose to do, like Shall I exercise or or can I control stress the the impact of those changes is fairly modest compared to the food choices, too. So it really starts at breakfast. And if we're if we are putting the healthy foods on our plate, that gives us a huge, huge, huge advantage in longevity.
0: There you go. Today's episode of The Exam Room Life has been powered by the Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund. The Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund supports organizations just like the Physicians Committee that carry on Greg's love for animals by promoting plant-based health and working to end animal abuse while emphasizing programs that promote systemic change and also benefit people. Please do me a favor right now and check them out online at gregoryryderfund.org. That's Ryder, Gregory R-E-I terfund.org. And Dr. Barnard, how great was it this week to see some comments from some of the exam roomies who have gone over and looked up what Allison Mahoney and the team over at the Ryder Fund are doing and saying, wow, these guys are fantastic. Thank you so very much, Ryder Fund, for supporting the exam room. That made me feel so good.
1: Me too. I have to say, you know, Greg has such a heart for animals and Allison has carried that forward in such a beautiful way. And, and uh, I'm not surprised that people appreciate it so much. And certainly I do too.
0: Absolutely. And look, we appreciate you being here today, my friend. This has been a really fascinating episode. Thank you so very much for dropping a few first-time nutrition nuggets here on the exam room. Thank you, Chuck. When Dr. Barnard was talking there, I couldn't help but to think about an interview that I did with Dr. Steve Lohm recently, where he and I were talking about heart disease being the leading cause of death, but also the most preventable, very much preventable in the majority of cases. And so if we do in fact prevent those diseases from occurring, that alone would push our life expectancy far northward. It would push your life expectancy way beyond what the norm is. And as Dr. Barnard said, you could absolutely say the same thing for cancer and diabetes and Alzheimer's disease, hypertension. So many of these chronic diseases that are robbing us of precious years in the only opportunity that we have to live them. If we have that control, the control to control those diseases, Doesn't that also mean then that we have more control than we give ourselves credit for to be living as long and as healthy of a life as possible? It absolutely does. It absolutely does. And we will be talking more about longevity a little bit later this year with Dan Buettner from the Blue Zones. He was originally scheduled to join us as part of our exam room health all-star series, but had to postpone due to scheduling conflicts. But I'm excited to say that Dan has a new book coming out a little bit later this year, and he will be joining us here on the exam room then. But to whet your appetite, let me read this to you from the Blue Zones website in case also you were wondering about some more specific foods. The website says, quote, The best of the best longevity foods in the Blue Zones diet are leafy greens such as spinach, kale, beet, and turnip tops, chard, and collards. In Icara, Greece, more than 75 varieties of edible greens grow like weeds. Many contain 10 times the polyphenols that are found in red wine. Studies have found that middle-aged people who consumed the equivalent of a cup of cooked greens daily were half as likely to die in the next four years as those who ate no greens at all. Eat your greens, everybody. And here's some more specifics for you. Dan is also a huge proponent of beans. And he cites research saying that eating a cup of beans a day can add about four years to your life. Same thing as those greens there. So you got the greens, you've got your beans. That is a recipe for a longer life. Very, very impressive indeed. But we're not done yet. There's so much research that has been done on diet and longevity. It's impossible not to keep going. So I want to take you back now to a couple of studies that we have put up on our website, pcrm.org. This one is from 2015. The headline, poor diet among leading causes of early death. Reading this verbatim now. A diet that is low in fruits, vegetables, whole grains, and fiber but high in red meat, salt, and processed sugar is now a key contributor to early death worldwide according to a study published in The Lancet. Researchers from the Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation examined life expectancy for 79 different risk factors in 188 different countries from 1990 until 2013. Dietary risk factors, including low intakes of fruits, vegetables, whole grains, nuts, and seeds, had the most impact on early death. Let's do another study. This one from one year earlier. The headline there, Plant-Based Foods Benefit Longevity. It reads, "Quote: Vegetarian diets increase longevity and reduce greenhouse gases according to a study published in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition. Researchers investigated health impacts and greenhouse gas emissions related to dietary patterns among Seventh-day Adventists. They found that non-vegetarians experienced a 20% higher mortality rate than vegetarians. This study emphasizes that even modest reductions of animal product consumption potentially provide significant health and environmental benefits. So you've got a win-win there. But there's also one more study to share. This one from 2020. Headline, Plant-Based Diets Promote Healthful Aging. Adopting a plant-based diet will help mitigate the global burden of disease as populations age, according to an article published in the Journal of the American College of Nutrition. As world populations age, plant-based diets can reduce the risk of non-communicable chronic diseases such as type 2 diabetes, cancer, and heart disease by almost 50% and could cut cardiometabolic-related deaths in the U.S. by half. Diets rich in fruits, vegetables, grains, and legumes may reduce the risk for cognitive diseases such as Alzheimer's disease by almost half as well. These improvements in health will reduce healthcare costs caused by chronic disease. So I say all of that to say this. You have the power. You have the power to live a long and healthy life. The one that you have always dreamt of. You may not think that you have that control, but you do. Genes do not have to be your destiny. It's said time and again, and it's for a reason. And while some studies estimate half is about the improvement, the amount of control that you have, others, including Dr. Barnard today, say it's up to 80%. 80 percent so make the most out of that power and turn this hour that you've just invested with us today into more years for your life healthy years for your life and that is about the healthiest return on investment there ever possibly could be and for today that is going to wrap things up I want to say thank you one more time to Dr. Neil Barnard for being here and raising our health IQs and laying out the blueprint for a longer and healthier life. For everyone here at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, as always, keep it plant-based.